Thank you, Colin. Good morning. It's a long passage. I thought we'd be good to break it up with two people, and I told someone that this morning. They said, so you just have back-to-back people with awkwardly deep voices? Which I'm taking as a compliment, Colin. I took it as a compliment, and I said, yes, that is exactly what I'm doing. Uh, Appreciate you reading that. Um, As we get into the sermon, in response to God's word, uh, will you pray with me? Jesus, each of us has come this morning to a house of worship with deep longings and desires. And maybe we have come believing you will speak, and maybe we haven't. But we have heard your word. And so this morning, we pray we might be open to what it has to say to us. And we can respond believing that it is spoken not only to us, but to be lived out in the world by your Spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the story that Colin uh, just read is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Very first story in the book of Luke, which is kind of amazing because it isn't about Jesus Christ. even, even more, I have become convinced this passage, this story that begins the gospel, is one of the most normal, easy to relate to stories in all of Scripture. And you might, uh, you might say, I'm not totally buying it, but, but just listen to these questions that I'm about to ask you. And these are rhetorical questions, but I want you to answer them as it goes in. Do I have to define rhetorical? No? Okay. Uh, they are rhetorical, if, but it, as I ask them, if you answer them in the affirmative, if you say, yeah, yeah, that has been me, or that is me, I want you to know that you are affirming your place in this story. That this is exactly the same affirmative answers that Zechariah or Elizabeth would give. Are you ready? How many of you have ever been to church before? I started with a low bar. Make sure everyone was on the yes train right away. Yes. All right, how about this? How many of you have come to church before? Not with grand hopes or great purpose, but because it is just what you do or because you've been asked to fulfill a role this morning. People serving communion are like, yeah, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. How many of you have prayed for yourself or for someone else to be able to have a child. Seems like a pretty common prayer. I know I've prayed that. How many of you have prayed for a child? And I know this doesn't always happen by any means, but how many of you have prayed for a child and then the obstacle was overcome and uh, you or that family now has a child? How many of us on a Sunday morning have heard through Scripture or sacrament, song, or sermon, that the thing that we have longed for, the thing that we have longed for, our deepest desires, have been fulfilled by the Lord. But then we've responded to that good news with either doubt or confusion. Shoot, how many of us can relate to Zechariah because our deepest longing is not for the Messiah? but for something else. 
And then finally, how many of us after a worship service have been reluctant or found it difficult to articulate what God was saying to us? If you don't think this is you, I challenge you to ask your spouse or your friend as you head home, well, what did God say to you? I have no doubt most of us would say, well, I'm not sure yet, or I need to think about it more, or uh, it's not super clear. We wouldn't be able to spout out in exact words. I'm telling you, I live some version of this passage darn near every Sunday. And of course, the, the temptation would be to say, well, uh, sure, maybe, maybe we have experienced similar things. We can relate to the overall things. But still, Zechariah's story, it leads to, to John the Baptist. And so far, my story has led to a career in business. And those things don't seem to quite be equal. But I think when our, when our mind drifts to this kind of logic, when we feel the need to distance ourselves from the biblical story and say how, how our stories are somehow different, I believe that we must remember the reason why we consider John the Baptist so important. Why we think he is such a big deal is not because of who John the Baptist is. It's because of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Without Jesus, we would not know John the Baptist. John the Baptist is important because of the Lord. In essence, we have deemed this story meaningful because we can connect the dots of it to Jesus. Therefore, what I want to invite us to remember this morning is that the majority of the New Testament proclaims the same thing about our own lives. Over and over again, that's what it says. Scripture says that the work of the church will connect the world to Jesus. We want to say, yeah, this passage in Luke is a pretty normal story, but it's special because it gets swept up in such incredible things. But what I'm saying is the promises of Scripture declare that our lives are no different. And so this morning, my question, above all the other questions that I have, and I'm going to ask you a lot of questions this morning, but the one above all of them is, is how are the people in this story able to connect the dots of their lives to what God is doing? While we have so much in common with what happens in this story, is there something additional that these people do that we could be encouraged towards? And I believe that there is. It would be a major tactical error of this sermon if I did not think that there was something, uh, something there. It would, it would go downhill in a hurry. I think there is. I believe Zechariah's story is similar to our own, except for the ways it engages one simple practice. And that's prayer. Prayer is what allows people to see this normal story as tethered to God's story. Prayer is what allows an unnecessary plot point to be the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to look at how people pray in this passage. And I think there are four named 
or implied prayers in this text. I'm just going to run through them really quickly. The first one is the specific bold prayer for a child by Zechariah and Elizabeth. The second one is the prayer of friends or, or co-workers or whatever you want to call them. The prayer of friends outside the temple for Zechariah. And the third one is the prayer of silence forced upon Zechariah. And then the final and the fourth one is the prayer of thanksgiving by Elizabeth at the end of our passage. And out of these prayers, I have I got four questions for you this morning. And they're going to kind of uh, bump up or connect to each of those four different prayers. And the first one is this. How bold and specific are your prayers? Zechariah and Elizabeth specifically, boldly pray for a child. For years they lift this up to the point that it has become a place of shame that it has gone unanswered. How bold and specific are the things that you pray for? Second one. Who's committed to praying for you? Who are you committed to pray for? A group of people stand outside the temple and pray for Zechariah as he's inside. And those people, they might not know the specifics of what happens inside the temple, but they are the first in this story to declare without any doubts that something has happened. They're the ones who do not let Zechariah ignore or dismiss this encounter. They say, you have seen a vision. Who is praying for you, even when you don't ask? Is there somebody praying for you as you come into this house of worship? Are you praying for someone else in the same way? Number three. Do you carve out space to listen for God? Do you have time of silence? This one's not easy to do. It's no surprise. This is the one question God has to step in and force Zechariah to answer in the affirmative. But make no mistake, what turns Zechariah's personal prayer into a God-centered one is the nine months he is forced to be silent and to listen. Do you listen for God in the midst of your bold prayers? And then finally, are you someone who gives thanks for God? And to God? For this is how our text ends. Elizabeth names and is thankful for what God has done. And as the story continues beyond the passage that we read, we discover Elizabeth's gratitude is not her version of a humble brag. And, and we know this because her gratitude leads her to notice how God is working in the same way in Mary. And even more than just connecting or relating to it, she recognizes in someone else how God's working in even greater ways. And she's excited about it. She has joy when she sees it happening in someone else's life. 
Do you find yourself giving thanks to God? Does it lead you to notice and celebrate how God is doing similar things in others? Friends, these are my questions and my sermon. That's it. I tend to think that this story is incredibly, we could tell the same story about our lives. And I think that asking these questions might help us to see how it has as much meaning in our own life as it does in this one. I'm not claiming that these four questions are are some divine formula, but I think they're worth engaging with a real sense of faithful expectation. Part of the gift of Advent is that we are invited to take seriously a God who wants to be with us and work in our lives. And these questions refuse to allow us to pretend our normal life lacks the Spirit. Simply put, I believe when we pray these four ways, we open our lives up to the theme of this morning, to the joy of God. Our normal life starts to feel like one grounded in the kingdom. Our imagination grows, and we encounter in our regular days something that can only be described as joy and wonder. Therefore, to close, I wanted to, I wanted to share one example from my own life. And it's not a normal sermon story. It doesn't have like a rousing point at the end or something like that. Instead, I'd call it more like a testimony. It's a testimony to how I have encountered the meaning of Zechariah's story to be true for my own life. And as I reflected back on it, it was in one of these rare moments where I was able to take seriously these four questions around prayer. And so at the beginning of October, Matt Simons and I, member of our church, member of leadership, we were talking about our, our shared desire for Kairos to be a place that draws in and welcomes people, especially young people who weren't married. Seems to be a gap in our congregation, seems to be a good place we'd like to grow. And so Matt and I, we committed to praying each weekday that new people might be drawn to the church. And and we tried our best to pray Monday through Friday for a month. Three days we prayed for a petition that Matt kind of wrote out that we followed. And then the other two days we prayed through silence, listening, uh, trying to listen to what God has to say. Well, only a few days into this commitment, I was out at lunch uh, with someone from the church. And as I was leaving, I ran into two of my former students, guys in their early 20s single. And so you'd think I would have recognized this is a divinely appointed moment, but I did not. I, I didn't mention Kairos, and I did not invite them here. <laughs> In my defense, I'd only been praying for like two days. It hadn't really soaked into my bones yet. Uh, so it was only as I was driving home that I had my own little personal usual suspects moment where like the pieces came together, and I I realized that I had made a terrible mistake, and I was like, you, that was the moment! That was probably it. It's all over now. So I was convicted enough about it. When I got back to the office, I tracked down their email through some, some internet stalking, and I, I boldly and I awkwardly 
invited them to Kairos, something I have literally never done before, ever. You want to hear part of my sales pitch? This is a direct quote from my email. You should know we're pretty small and have exactly zero 23-year-olds that currently go here. <laughs> Kairos is definitely not a check-the-box, I'm only here to find my wife kind of church. But if you were up for stepping out of your comfort zone and being pushed in your faith, I think you'd really like it. Shockingly, they have not come <laughs> to Kairos yet. But when you know it, that very next Sunday, a different young guy did. He stood up during prayer requests, and he basically said he stumbled upon the church because he's been working on the 285-400 interchange. And he's, and he's talking, he kind of gives his little biography, so it's clear he's kind of fitting into the thing. And, and after the service, it took all my willpower not to run up to him like a crazy person and be like, you are the person I have been praying for. I kept it cool. However, he has also not come back to Kairos. <laughs> yeah, here's the deal. All of these different things are happening in my regular day, and I am positive I would not have made connections to what God is doing. I would not have stepped out of my comfort zone and acted, not found these interactions to be a place of hope, excitement and joy if I had not been praying. It would not have crossed my mind. And even more, through praying, I have felt and drawn closer to Matt, who I've been praying with. Just knowing he was praying alongside me kept me from ducking and quitting on the boldness, and when I would forget for two days in a row, actually feeling like I needed to return to it and not just giving up. And finally, when I actually stopped wishing for more people to come to the church and I started praying about it, and especially when I started listening to what God had to say about my prayer, I quickly felt called away from questions of how and why that so often feed like my sense of anxiety and scarcity. And in this place, I heard the Lord speak words of conviction and encouragement for me to be the kind of community I desire to invite others into. In a very real way, listening allowed me to give, up my, give my prayer over to God so I could focus on where the Lord had called me that day. And to be free of that, and yet to desire it, is a place of joy. Joy of where God's already at work and excitement about what God might do in the future. And I know that I'm mostly just exegeting my life, and my life is certainly not like your life, and it isn't the most exciting story I've ever told, but the point is, is that for me, it is. It's really exciting. Through prayer, God is inviting my regular day to have deep meaning. And I not only want your lives to encounter that kind of meaning. I believe that meaning is already present in it. That the Spirit is very much at work in your life.
In fact, two weeks ago, I was waiting at Willie's to have lunch with someone from the church. And wouldn't you know it? One of those former students walked in. And so we started talking again, and since I had made my intentions pretty known about Kairos, we didn't really delve too deep into that one. He had made his intentions known too. Uh, but eventually the person I was meeting for lunch came in, and I did the introductions, and my former student found out that this guy's in commercial real estate, and my student's in commercial real estate, but he's trying to kind of make his way in it. Uh, and so they talked shop for a bit as I stood there awkwardly because I don't have a lot to add to that conversation. And, and then my student, the one I invited to church, tells this guy who goes to this church, I'd love to get together with you sometime. I'd love to get together with you sometime. I'm telling you, like Elizabeth with Mary, the Spirit jumped inside of me. And I saw very clearly what probably felt normal and even burdensome to the church member, like, oh my gosh, this guy wants to go talk to me again, was a glimpse of God at work, the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. What he has to offer can very much be used for the kingdom. Friends, the grace of God is new every morning. Each day the gospel begins in the story of your life. May our praying life reflect that good news so that we too can be surprised by the joy of the God who is with us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we are here in your house. We are here with real prayers, real desires. And I have no doubt your word, your gospel, your good news is speaking to them. And yet, like Zechariah, it is easy to be confused to not be sure of what it means for our life. And yet we see in this story how these different ways of praying, praying both individually and communally, can tie us to what you are doing. It might not be an easy road, it might not be a perfect road, but through prayer we can remain open to how your spirit is at work in our life in the world. So God, help us to have the courage to take seriously those questions, to have a faith that is expectant, and to work towards living a prayer life and community, believing that you are with us and on the move. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.